Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hooligan Report. I'm your host as always, SM, and with me tonight I have JD2010. Yep. And I've also got Tradespert. Evening, fellas. Well, it was a pretty eventful weekend of fixtures, so we'll, we'll jump straight into it with the Stoke-Manchester uh, City game, which finished 4-1 to Man City. Um, there are a couple of pretty controversial penalty calls in this game, um, particularly for the first Man City goal, um, with some pretty light tugging on the shirt from Shawcross. Then there was the uh, penalty that decision that was waved away on Kolarov. Uh, and then finally, the, the ironically, the penalty call given to Shawcross uh, with a bit of obstruction from Sterling. So um, I'll start with you, JD2010. Uh, JD How did you see the game uh, as a whole and then also those penalty decisions? Yeah, look, I think City were, were looked very good. Um, yeah, the penalties were you know, probably to the level of the law, maybe the right calls, but I, I thought they were all pretty pretty soft and, and the colour of one was probably the one that should have been given the most. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to, to see City, you know, really pick apart a team kind of in a way that you're used to Guardiola teams doing it. And, you know, that late Nolito goal um, was just, yeah, had that ease about it that you're used to seeing Barca and, and Bayern carve teams up like. So, yeah, maybe... You know, it might be a bit early to say that, but maybe those little bits of him are coming off already. Um, but yeah, you you know a bit more about the the rulings um, than I would, but yeah, just as a fan, I thought they were they were pretty soft calls. Yeah, trades, but obviously there's been a directive off over the off season, um, or at least there seems to have been to um, crack down on this sort of holding from corners. What do you make of that? Do you think that's a good thing to see in the game? Um, and also, um, obviously, Stoke looking pretty exposed with Butland out of the side. I, I, I This happens at the start of just about every single season. Something gets talked about in the media, and it's really, really overplayed by the rest for the first month, month and a half of the season. And then as the season progresses, it sort of just becomes a bit more hidden away. Um, I thought they were very soft penalties, um, however, I was very happy that the second Stoke City penalty was awarded because I, I'm not even sure who the match official was for the game, but at least he um, made the just about the replica call for pretty much a very similar sort of thing that happened. Yeah, it was quite, um, it was quite funny. You saw Mark Hughes on the sideline um, and the look on his face mm. pretty much said, well, you know, it was given for you, it's given for us. Yeah, and, you know, crappy call or not, I just ask for consistency. Yeah. Because when you get consistency, you know what you can and you can't do. So at least it was consistent. I also wanted to make a point that I thought Aguario was really good in that game, and it's good to see him finally getting back some form after injuries have probably gotten the best, the better of him over the last 18 or so months. So he started the season really, really well, and it's great to see him starting to, to hit some form really early in the season. Yeah, well, he's got three goals in the first two games of the season, which is pretty impressive. And there's another player who's also got three goals in the first two games of the season, and his name is Latan Ibrahimovic. And United continued their winning ways, pretty much matching Man City for results with a 2-0 win over Southampton. Um, JD, do you see it basically already looking like a, a fight for the title between the two Manchester sides, or do we see Chelsea keeping pace with them? Yeah, it does at the moment. But in saying that, um, it's still quite early. These teams can, maybe not so much City, but, you know, will a 34-year-old um, be able to keep this sort of run run going throughout the whole season? Um, remains to be seen yet. So, yeah, it looks ominous for, and I'd say even Chelsea are a bit behind them at the moment in terms of just the quality of the squads. Can I just um, butt in whilst you're talking yeah. about Zlatan? Sorry, JD. I think the thing with Ibrahimovic is because he is almost not relying at all on his pace, I think, personally, I think that's why he'll still be able to play on at, a, at an older age because generally it's pace and injuries which get players a lot at an older age. Injuries, he's had a pretty good run of injuries over his career. He's managed to stay quite fit. And pace has never been something he relies on. So I actually back Zlatan to be able to keep up Maybe it's he's not more... going to average more than a goal a game all season, but 
I, I think he can really, really make a, a push for United's title chances. Yeah, I think it's more that December, January period where they're, he's you know used to having the breaks um, yeah, well, that they do have around the world. Um, so he'll probably be playing, it depends how Mourinho handles it too, but there's games coming left, right and centre with um, you know, Europa League, FA Cup, League Cup, if they're still in it, in that January period. Um, how his body goes coping without that mid-season break could be could be fine, could be, you know, something that he's just not done for 16 years or whatever it is and just, yeah, fades towards the end of the year. And then if that's the case, they'll be, you know, back back with that main group, I guess. Um, cool. Especially if Rashford doesn't get a, a proper run. Trade spurt well. with um, with Ibra taking the penalty for United as well. Obviously, that um, speaks volumes in a way about his place in the pecking order, taking the penalties off of um, Wayne Rooney, pretty much. Um, do you see that as sort of a symbolic um, moment that, that Zlatan sort of overtaken Rooney as, as almost the most important player at the club? Um, oh, see... I, I, it's a it's a very very interesting one because I I watched the um I watched the game back and I didn't know how the goals were scored so I was quite surprised that Ibrahimovic did take the penalty over Rooney I could only presume that it was um well there was no no real debate over it so it was obviously pre rehearsed that Zlatan would be taking the penalties um an interesting call but he scored it so it's the right one. <laughs> and then finally, a quick word on on Pogba on his second debut for United. He looked pretty tidy, didn't he? He did, but that's what you'd be wanting when you spend that much <laughs> when you spend that much money. But um, yeah, he didn't really do too much wrong. He wasn't going to go and do an unbelievable a lot in his first game. He's only just sort of settling into the country. Um, can't ask for much more in a debut from anybody than than what he than what he did. I thought he looked really impressive. How'd you say it, JD? Yeah, he was he was very solid. Um, yeah, if he just you weren't expecting him to, you know, dominate the game, but he he almost got to those sort of levels. Which yeah, if he can step that up and get used to Mourinho, um, yeah, it might look like money well spent down the track. Um, but yeah, it, it's still a wait and see for me on United. Um, a side that has seemed pretty up and down so far to start the season is Liverpool, who went down 2-0 to Burnley after a pretty high-flying game against Arsenal to start the season. Um, I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week about the fact that Liverpool do seem to have this knack of dropping these, these games that they should be winning. But the way that they did it with Burnley having the lowest percentage on record for a, uh, for a Premier League win since the records were kept, uh, it, it's got a pretty to put a pretty big dent in in Liverpool's confidence that they can really um, mount a challenge this season for even a top four spot you would think um, tradespur what did what did you make of the win for Burnley um, it's so hard because it's the it's the game that when it's your team that has those stats and lose you want to throw your well being an Australian you want to throw your remote through the television um, it is incredibly frustrating, but it was always going to be the case. Burnley snatched a really, really neat goal really early in the game, so they were going to sit back and try and defend that. And honestly, they would have really, really, really tried everything they could have done to get a 1-0 win. And Liverpool, of course, were going to throw everything at, at them. But uh, to me, it sort of showed that Liverpool are going to be more reliant on scoring more than their opposition than being able to keep opponents to lower the amount of goals, if that makes any sense. Um, so when their strike force isn't scoring, their back line and defence needs to be able to hold up. And even though they were two really, really nice goals, they, they were given given too much space to the ball carriers. And that can, that can, that can just be the price that you pay when you allow players to have that much time on the ball. Um, JD, how did you see it um, with, obviously, yeah, that concern that Liverpool, well, concern from a Liverpool supporter's point of view that they can't break down these sorts of defences. Obviously, you play them next week, and we'll touch on that preview in a little bit, but 
Um, what what have you made of Liverpool's start? Yeah, look at reading a few of the guys on the forums' opinions. It seems to be kind of a bit of a typical result where they get up the week before away at a at the top team and then go and drop points against the Burnley, um, which is a worry for my team this week. Um, but yeah, I guess it's it, I don't know if it's a a Klopp thing as well, like they they can get up, he gets them up kind of for the big games and then isn't quite sure in the in the easy ones where they're expected to win. Um, yeah, and that's what I think kind of makes them a dangerous cup team because they're always getting up for for these knockout sort of matches, but doing it over a 38-game season, I think, is still a stretch for them. Um, it's been a pretty good start all round for the promoter clubs. Um, all three of them actually won on the weekend, which I think has seen the best the best start to a season from promoted teams um, since the Premier League started. Um, Hull managed to get a two 0 win away to Swansea, which of course um, it's well, it's been well documented the struggles that that my clubs had to start the season in terms of the amount of personnel available, and and it was certainly a, a good counter attacking style win. Um, I don't know if you guys caught the comments from Swansea's manager after the game, but he was bemoaning the fact that we basically sat 10 men or 11 men behind the ball in a defensive style, which I found quite ironic coming from an Italian manager. But um, I don't know if either of you guys have seen the highlights, but but Tradesport, I'll start with you. What were your thoughts on, on this result? Um, well, if you sit 10 or 11 players behind, or 10 players behind the ball... How do you score two goals? Like <laughs> you've obviously you've obviously gone. I I only watched the highlights of the game. I'll be totally yeah. honest. I didn't actually watch the full game. Um, but Hull continue to to prove it to um to prove what most people were thinking were going to be absolutely a diabolical start after possibly the worst preparation to a Premier League season that any team could possibly dread and to start the season with two victories I, I'd, I'd be ecstatic if I was you matey <laughs> um, <laughs> and finally we're seeing a little bit of a little bit of transfer rumors yeah. and that finally starting to gain some momentum so it's a, it's a really good starting point and I, I know Swansea probably had the better of the stats between the between the two teams, but as we as I elaborated in the Liverpool and Burnley game, it's the teams that to make the most of their opportunities that get the win, and and you're not going to win a game of football if you don't score goals, and Swansea didn't score any goals, so you can't expect to win a game. And to be honest, I mean their their best chance of the game came about five minutes in from a Sigurdsson shot, and and they may well have had more shots in the end. I don't actually know the particular stats, but. I'd argue that we ended up actually having the better the better of the chances. Yeah, well, you guys actually had four shots on target to their three. They they did have almost double the amount of shots yeah, in they, total. They, they were blazing over the bar a lot, though. Yeah, but it's you guys had four shots on target. They had twenty three shots for the entire game, but only three of them were on target. Yeah, and that, and that tells the story. And I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised hearing that stat because of the way they played the game. Um, JD, I mean, Tradesports alluded there to the fact that, that there's been reports today that we've agreed a fee for Mason. Um, h- how did you see this game, and, and where do you think Hull can sort of go from here? Yeah, no, to tell you the truth, I only saw the, the highlights on this one as well, and they don't really um, yeah, sit fresh in my memory, to be honest. It was sort of a game where, yeah, I, I could see, you know, deserved three points for, for Hull, you know, good sort of an away performance where, you know, you just limit the home team from creating those good chances. Um, yeah, these are the way, this is the best way, I think, forward for these sides like Burnley and Hull who have come up and not spent a heap is just to make these away games, you know, just build up, build those points up and get, get to your targets. Um, yeah, I'd, Definitely was was impressed with, was it, having watched you in the Leicester game, was really impressed with the way you actually played in that game. But having only seen the highlights, I can't really yeah. say you, you'll know more than me um, yeah. if you've played at that level or not. But Or if it was just a gritty, 
you know, stealing of an away win or just grinding an away win. Um, well, the most impressive part, I think, was that it, it wasn't the typical sort of um, smash and grab in the sense where, you know, you have 10 men behind the ball and you just you get that long hoof up forward to a striker to score a goal against the run of play. I mean, our second goal came from a lot of one-touch passing through our midfield where we basically um, passed it up the field and then beat the offside trap to then get a pretty easy goal with a with a cutback to the striker. So, I mean, it was a really impressive run of play and, and it wasn't that typical sort of long ball sort of style of play that you'd expect from its side sitting 10 men behind the ball. So I think that's probably the most heartwarming part of it is that we're actually playing football the right way. And, and it, it was really funny to see, I think it was yesterday or the day before, some, one of the players made a comment that back in the 80s, I think Liverpool won the title using just 14 players. So who's to say that we can't do something similar? Um <laughs> But we did touch on um, the other promoted clubs, and Middlesbrough also got off to a um, to a win this weekend against Sunderland with a two-one win in the um, T Ware Derby, I believe it is, um, which was which was a good win for them as their first win back in the Premier League. And Negredo, with two assists in that game, is already looking quite a good signing for them. Um, I'll start with you, Trades, but Moyes, after the game, spoke of the fact that Sunderland are almost certainly facing a relegation battle, and, and what do you make of it when a manager brings that sort of discussion into it two games into a season? I think it's alright to be realistic. I th- you, you don't want to be talking up chances to finish, finish in the top half, especially as a manager, because that's just putting ridiculous amounts of pressure on you so by lowering the bar to the fans, poorer performance don't look as bad and you don't get as much media on your back. And I, I think to Moyes, after everything that happened at Manchester United, he, he, deep down he'll be very scared of a media backlash and the fans' backlash. And Sunderland have been through a rid- ridiculous amount of managers over the last few years. So to sort of, I think, I think the idea of it was to try and get the media all right. Sunderland are going to be battling anything better than dodging relegation will be a wonderful performance. So I can sort of see what he was trying to do, but it's not really going to fill the team with a lot of confidence. And with Moyes still trying to bring players into the club, that's not going to be very appealing to any player that wants to come and sign or that Sunderland are trying to get when their manager's publicly gone and stated that they're going to be facing relegation. Um... They looked really, really poor at the back in that game, I thought. Um, Middlesbrough passed the ball extremely well in their attacking half, especially for their second goal where um, Forshaw just completely sliced through their back line, passing to Negredo, and Negredo got a wonderful assist to cap off a really good a really good team goal by... Is it pronounced Stanuai? Is that uh, Stuani, how we... Stuani, yeah, sorry. Um, to cap off a really, really wonderful team goal. Uh, as the game went on, Sunderland started to really, really press and try and take the win, but Middlesbrough were the better team and probably deserved a win. A draw would have been a fair result as well, but you can't take anything away from Middlesbrough in that game, I thought. JD, what were your thoughts on this one? And, and do you see enough from Middlesbrough to think that they can stay up this season and, and really sort of push on? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think they, they're good enough to stay up. And, and just on Moy's comments, like, that's pretty terrible, if you ask me. <laughs> There's not two games in. They, they lost 2-1 to Man City away on the opening day. Which is um, okay. Which is a good, yeah, not a bad result. But then... To talk about the relegation battle when there's what there's Bournemouth, there's the three promoted teams, there's Palace, West Brom, Swansea. Watford, Swansea, all these teams that they're on, they should be on par with really. Like even on on paper, they're not that much worse than any of them. Financially, they're pretty well backed all the time. So he's he's probably you know going to get a chance to, to strengthen again in in January and you know he's had a had a pretty good endorsement from Ferguson to go to United so he's believed in tactically as well like to just say that now we're going to probably be in the bottom five when there's eight or nine teams that they should be aiming to, to be ahead of 
is just yeah mind blowing really. Um, yeah, I don't don't know why he's doing it to be honest. Um, and there were a couple of other games over the weekend that we can cover off quickly here. We had your side beating Palace one nil with a pretty late goal from um, Wanyama. Janssen made his full debut for you as well. Um, just quickly, how, how did you see that one, and and what did you make of Wanyama and, and Janssen? Yeah, look, we were we were pretty poor to be honest. It was exactly what I kind of expected if we played Wanyama and Dyer. Um, but in fairness to them, they've both been very good as well. It's just that we've lacked creativity. Um, and Ericsson was extremely poor this game, and Dali Ali was in the first game in Everton. So. Yeah, Janssen was, was solid, just needs to get his first goal. Um, he had a few moments where, which made me think back to Soldado, um, just snatching at chances, but, you know, he's only 21. Um, so he'll, he'll develop quite well, and he looks strong enough already to be, you know, heaven forbid if anything happened to Harry Kane, um, we could play with just him up front um, in the league and not, not go too badly over a short period, I don't think. Um, Chelsea had a familiar victory with another t- uh, late 2-1 win, this time over Watford. Um, Costa with a pretty obvious dive, I would have thought, on the edge of the box. And on a weekend when there's been a bit of um, scrutiny over refereeing decisions and, and rightly or wrongly awarding penalties, um, you would have thought he should have been sent off um, after a, send- a pretty clear sending off last week as well. Um, Trades, yeah. but did, how, how did you see that one? Yeah, I was quite surprised to see him. To see him stay on the pitch, he rides his luck week in, week out, and somehow he just about always gets away with it. Um, Yeah, I I think he should have gone, much to Watford's disgust, but to concede two goals in the last ten minutes of the game from Watford's perspective after being a goal up is not the best result. Uh, Well, it's a terrible result. Um... But Conte has once again rallied up his men and got them from a losing position to get the win. So um, Chelsea not exactly getting it done in the most pretty way, but they're getting it done, and three points is three points. Mm. That's four points now that Costa's won them um, when he shouldn't be on the pitch. Yeah, Plain and simple. And I think there was a discussion on the forum about it's going to cost them one day, well, if it costs them in one game, he's this just this season he's already got four points out of it. Who knows how, you know, if you could go back and look at game after game, he's I'd say there's easily another 15 to 20 points that he's he's got when he shouldn't be on the, on the pitch. And, yeah, there's just no bravery to send him off anywhere by any ref in, in this comp. Which uh, I, I honestly don't know why, like, the fans from just about every club cannot stand him. He's almost become what Luis Suarez was when he was at Liverpool. And he's so, not even as good. At least Suarez yeah. is good to watch. <laughs> so I, I don't know why he keeps getting a soft run. Um, I, but what what we see on the tally and replays and that sort of stuff, he is genuinely good at disguising things in games. And he knows he knows where the boundaries are. And he likes to trickle on them. But he, I actually think he is... He's Diving smart. on a yellow card, though, that's not hiding That's not hiding I, a dirty challenge. That's a ref not having the balls to, to yeah, make no, the I, right call and yellow card a diver. I, I know, but Costa made the decision to dive, whether that was a reaction that he normally does or not. He knew he was on a yellow, and he still chose to take the punt. And it paid off for him. I, 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 I can't stand him as a player, but as you said, he, he gets the points and he, he's going to get him more points than he's going to cost him through yeah, definitely. through those acts, which um, is very frustrating. Yeah. Um, your side managed a 2-1 win over West Brom, also coming from behind in that one. Um, and just quickly, your thoughts on that one? Um, not the most pretty of games, but they never are when you play Tony Pulis' side. Um, I thought West Brom had the better of Everton for the first... Half an hour of the game, um, they were 1-0 up and deservedly so, I thought. Um, Ronald Koeman made quite a ballsy decision to make a tactical substitute at the 35th minute. Um, and he brought, he thankfully brought on Romelu Lukaku. And, yeah, the, the game completely flipped on its head. I didn't think... Um, 
Lukaku really did a lot, but we went from playing with three centre-backs to two centre-backs and two full-backs to then actually having a target man, somebody who can hold the ball up. The game completely transformed from then, and thankfully we got what I thought was a deserved win. Um, we also had West Brom, West Brom, West Ham, I should say, winning one nil late to, against Bournemouth to open the um, what is it called, the London Stadium or something like that now? Not the Olympic Stadium. Olympic. Is it? Uh, yeah. I thought. I think they. I, I thought it was Olympic. the London they, Stadium for London, now. I think. London Stadium. Sell, I think, yeah. sell, sell it to. I think there's a pretty ordinary name floating about for it, isn't there? Uh, possibly. Uh, yeah. Um, and we yeah. also. Had, we also had Leicester drawing nil-nil with Arsenal, and and I think that result for both sides really was pretty concerning, both from um, a Leicester point of view that they still haven't scored from open play, and also from an Arsenal point of view that, I mean, at least in, it's a positive in the sense that they were able to keep a clean sheet, but um, it's basically five points dropped now and five points behind City, United, and Chelsea, which will be pretty concerning for them. Um, a quick word from both of you. I'll start with you, JD. How did you see that one in terms of a, a top two from last season battle? Yeah, look, it was a pretty ordinary game. Um, yeah, not a lot of positives for either side to take out of it other than they get a clean sheet. Um, yeah, just not convinced by Arsenal's. Um, yeah, just being able to enough for the 38 games with Giroud and Sanchez as the two strikers and Welbeck like that's that's pretty ordinary and you're going to get these results where they get nil alls and or one nil losses where you know it's not intimidating enough to like an Ibrahimovic Rooney Martial um, Rashford is so yeah I'd typical and yeah long may it continue um but how did you see it do you see it um as a concern for leicester that they've obviously had a pretty slow start to the season so far um i think they've got swansea at home next which we'll talk about in a little bit but you'd have wanted them to have a bit of a better start as a leicester supporter you would have wanted as a leicester supporter you would have wanted them to beat hull no disrespect sm um (laughs) but I honestly think both teams before this game probably would have taken a nil-nil draw. Um, I still think that Arsenal have a better team than Leicester on paper, but we can't deny the fact that Leicester just won the championship last season. Um, Arsenal, they were almost a little bit conservative, I sort of felt. I still think um, they're... I don't know if the fans are sort of drilling it into the to the play, but it's like they're waiting for players mm. to come in and they need that confidence booster. They just looked a little bit flat and they didn't seem to really be trying to take the game by the the scruff of the neck and just go, 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 go. They, they were a bit, I don't know, it was almost like they were trying to hold back a little bit and they were a little bit scared of throwing too much forward in fear of losing a game. So... That very well could have been Winger's tactics, but yeah, they, they they just seemed to be lacking a little bit of confidence, I thought. Um, well, one of the reasons that Leicester would have had a bit of a slow start to the season, perhaps, is the fact that they would have had an eye on the uh, Champions League, where we had that draw overnight. Um, we'll start with Spurs, because um, we've got you on, JD, and what did you make of your draw? You've got Monaco and probably Leverkusen as your two biggest threats in that group, but Overall, it's it's a pretty tough group to try and get out of. Yeah, look, it's a it's a very even group. I think for a neutral, it'd be you know, quite an exciting group to to keep watch of. Um, Moscow CSKA was the pot one team. Um, yeah, probably the easiest. When you say easy, it's still a terrible trip to make. But you know, they they're all hard though in the championship. Yeah, yeah. So for pot one, we probably got the best of it in terms of, you know, who we can beat. Um, then pot two to get Leverkusen, I can't remember what the other options were, That, but that, I think, was about, you know, average for us. And then the, the last pot, we probably got the hardest team in AS Monaco. So, yeah, it really nets off that easiest and hardest in pots one and four. And, yeah, we could finish anywhere from first to, to last, really, in that group, depending on how well we do. Um, I definitely think now... It's a good thing, though, to have that first spot as our aim 
Whereas if we had a Real Madrid or, or Barcelona, Bayern Munich, or even PSG like Arsenal, like it's not it's not actually gettable. And then you're just fighting for second, and then that's probably going to mean a tough round of 16 game. So, yeah, I think it's a good chance for us to finish top like we did last time we are in the, the Champions League and then, you know, push on from there and, and get past that next next stage. Um, and at the bare minimum, at least, you know, do that severe sort of third spot and get into stay in Europe through the Europa League. But, yeah, I'm pretty pretty excited for us to, to have a good chance to finish first. And, and it's a wonderful draw from a neutral. Sorry, it's a wonderful draw from a neutral because it is a very, very. It's probably the most even of all the groups. Yeah, look, I think a lot of the groups are, are quite even. Um, you know, you take out maybe the the first whoever's going to finish first, but I think there's a lot of groups where second and third and even fourth is still very up for grabs. Um, but that's that's the thing with the Champions League. There's there's only four or five teams that can actually win it. So you're going to get four or five groups where you know the group winner. Um, you know Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, even Juventus. They're going to win their groups. Well, Barcelona have Man City, so that could be quite an interesting group if, if Pep can get them going. Yeah, yeah well, perhaps. Pep knows Barcelona quite well. Perhaps if it was next year, I'd, I'd say that would... Yeah, that would really be um, a big chance for that to happen but I still think it's going to be a bit early for them to to be a Champions League contender this year um, but yeah that's that seems to be a typical tie Barca and Man City I don't know what <laughs> yeah. what causes that um, and then the team that everyone would have been keeping an eye on for, for who they drew we had Leicester drawn with Porto, Bruges and Copenhagen um, which is in terms of difficulty, probably the easiest group they could have hoped for, but I, I suppose that's the luxury of being a pot, pot one team. Um, Tradespert, what did you make of that? Do you do you think... I mean, there's a bit of discussion on the board today about whether Leicester would have preferred a tougher group with more flashy ties or, or an easier group with more chance of getting through. Uh, no, I, I honestly think that as a pot one team, Leicester got the easiest, the easiest next three teams. Um, out of all of the clubs, but it's still a very difficult group. They're not gonna, not gonna, not gonna get through it on any easy, easy merits. Um, I, I still would expect them to advance through. The experience and dealing with all the extra fixtures, I'll be very, very interested to see how Leicester cope because yeah, definitely. I haven't looked on paper, but I don't think they'd have a lot of Champions uh, League play experienced players. So, sort of, I know it was at a, a lower level, but when Everton was even just in the Europa League a few seasons ago, getting that adjustment, we suffered in the league a lot from it as well. So, to see how they're going to be able to cope, both in the league as a result, but then be able to play midweek, will be very, very interesting because... Like, they're playing even against, like, Porto, Bruges and Copenhagen. They're at the top of their leagues every single year. Mm. So they're used, they're they're used, used to, to playing. Yeah, they're going into games with good form a lot of absolutely. the time. They're coming off beating, you know, a mid-table or lower table Portuguese side 5-0, resting their stars on the weekend. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and you, you see it quite a lot. There's a lot of it. You can look back years ago. I remember when we first started entering the, the UEFA Cup. Um we struggled to to adjust to European football. Then you look at West Ham in the last couple of years, didn't get through to the Europa League group stage. Uh, Southampton didn't like it. So just because we know them, um, because they're in the Premier League every week, but these sides don't find European football that easy. Um, so, you know, Club Bruges, people are probably thinking won't be able to, to finish above or shouldn't finish above Leicester, but there's a very good chance that you know they've got a lot of European experience there, and they they can give them a run for their money. And on glamorise, Leicester's going to sell out every single one of these Champions League fixtures, even against Copenhagen. So why does it matter if it's playing Copenhagen or playing Juventus? You know, at the end of the day, it's money generated from it's going to be the same. It's best to try and get those 
acclimatise in the round of 16 and quarterfinals uh, where you've got an extra two home games out of staying in the competition rather than just having three and bowing out and finishing bottom of a, a glamour group sort of thing. So, yeah, I think they'll be very happy with their group. Deservedly so as well. Well, we'll talk about the previews now, and um, it's become a regular fixture on the big footy board, so to speak, that um, Liverpool and Spurs aren't the best of friends, um, which has been a bit of an odd rivalry, I must say, given there's no sort of um, particular history between the two sides in in an actual footballing sense. But, JD, um, you're the early game on the Saturday night. Uh, how do you see this one panning out? I think there's potential injuries for Coutinho and, and Chan for Liverpool. Uh, and how do you see that playing in your favour? Yeah, look, I think Coutinho's the, the big one. Um, you know, the, the pacey type players, without him, I think we can handle, but with him kind of pulling the strings, it can be always quite dangerous. Um, so I think it's just a bit of a shame for us that we're playing him so early and we're well, not even, you know, in, we're still in neutral, really. Um, so we're not going that well. If this was, you know, with Kane and Ali and Ericsson in a little, showing a little bit of form, I'd be very confident um, with their injury concerns and things like that. But I'm just still not convinced by by, by us at all. Um, yeah, we haven't really looked dangerous in front of goal. Um, so then we're having to rely on keeping Liverpool's main strength, which is their attack at bay, which is yeah, never an easy thing. To do so, yeah, this could go any sort of way. Um, I'm just hoping it's a, you know, a Moreno, Mignolet <laughs> specialty calamity six nil. To be honest, um, but in saying that, it it could easily be a, a two or three nil the other way too. Um, I think Mane is another one that's a bit questionable for fitness, but it. He'll probably play, and he's in very good form at the moment. So, yeah, look, it could be could be anything. Um, I think for the sake of all our sanities on the board, a five or five or six nil Spurs win would be the best result for us all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, who knows? At the moment, we don't look like creating five or six good chances. So, <laughs> I'm not confident on that. Trade spurt. How do you see this one panning out? Do you see uh, Do you see Spurs getting up, or, or do you think Liverpool have too much in the in the Arsenal? I think Liverpool strike force will be very testing to Tottenham. Um, in saying that, I generally feel that Tottenham have one of the best defenses in the game. Um, they've got a really good back four, and then Dyer and Wanyama protect it incredibly well. So Liverpool will without a doubt struggle to break struggle to break that down. I also think that Liverpool will probably have a much more conservative approach after conceding three goals the first week and then two goals last week to Burnley. I can't see Liverpool going all that attack for the whole 90 minutes of the game. I think it'll be a draw, and I can see it being quite low scoring. I sort of question... Also, whether Tottenham are going to be able to break Liverpool down as well with Wanyama and Dyer both starting next to each other. And as JD alluded, without Dele Alli or Eriksen really doing much over the first two games, um, if they're not firing, Dyer and Wanyama aren't going to be able to break teams down offensively. So I, I actually think this will be a low-scoring game personally. Um one goal could snatch it, but I wouldn't even be shocked if it was a nil-nil draw. Yeah, I, I'm probably going for Spurs in a 2-1 win, but that's only because at home and, and potentially Liverpool without Coutinho, I think they'd have the edge. But as you say, JD, I mean, you're not creating a whole lot of chances at the moment, so um, it could be quite a low-scoring game, or it could be quite high-scoring, depending on how the sides approach the game, but um, it could be quite an interesting one. Um 
We've also got Chelsea up against Burnley as one of the midnight games. Um, Burnley obviously in some pretty red-hot form at the moment, and, and Chelsea just seem to be able to get out of jail pretty much every week at the moment with Costa staying on the pitch. Um, do we see Chelsea being pretty decent value for this one at home, um, JD? Yeah, I think so. I think it should be a pretty routine win. Um, they haven't made a statement, sort of had a statement victory yet, so that would be their their kind of goal. I don't think the three points is really in question at all at home. Um, but whether or not it's a, a one nil or a two two nil right sort of boring sort of victory, or you know they go out and say you know it's not just a Manchester only race and then put four past Burnley. Um, yeah, it's just a question of how much, really. And Dredsbert? Yeah, without being disrespectful to Burnley, they got a really good win last week, but they were still dominant, dominated on the pitch. Um, Chelsea will be right up there in the title contention, so it's hard to... Well, it's impossible to go against Chelsea in this game. Yeah, I think I'm with you guys. I think Chelsea will do this relatively easily. I think Burnley will put up a pretty decent fight, though, so I think it might only be a 1 or a 2-0 win for for Chelsea, but um, yeah, I don't think, I can't see Burnley getting much out of this one. Um, next up, we have Everton against Stoke. Um, uh, you know, had had the physical West Brom last week. Stoke aren't really as physical as they used to be, but they're still um, not the best of sides to face in, in some senses. How do you see this one panning out, Tradespert? Um, well, hopefully for an Everton win. Um, Stoke, well, even the Stoke fans will admit they really have yet to get going. Um, whereas I, I feel Everton's been performing quite well. Um, hopefully, from an Everton perspective, we're just about at full fitness. Um, Stoke have almost well, a bogey side just about for us last season. They, I think there was 3-4. I think they beat us at Goodison. I could be wrong there. But, um, yeah, and that was one of the most disappointing games. It's harder to get a read on Stoke nowadays because with players like Bojan, Shakiri, and Anatovic up front, they can be incredibly unpredictable. And if those three get firing, they can cause absolute headaches for any side, regardless if that's City, United, or Chelsea. There, at their best, those three are, are honestly just as good as just as good as about anybody. The thing is, they don't fire a lot, so hopefully they don't fire on the weekend. Um, in saying that, we should be beating a team like Stoke City without too many problems if we were to achieve um, a European European spot this year. So I will back us in. I'm not hugely confident. I suppose I never am. But, yeah, we, we I'm hoping we can win this game without too many problems. Um, JD, we touched on it a bit earlier, but no Butland for Stoke. Looks like it's pretty hard for them to keep a clean sheet in that case. Um, do you see a, a pretty decent win for Everton? Um, no, I think a draw in this one. I, okay. I, I think they're quite evenly matched match teams. Um, you know, they've got a bit of a reputation as a as a thrash, like a thrash and bash sort of team, but they've got some really good players. In Bula's, I rate quite highly, and, and then all, obviously the, the attacking types, like Shakiri and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I can see at least them getting one. Um it's just whether or not they can hold off Everton and, and keep them to one themselves. So one or I'd I'd be backing in this one. Okay. Yeah, I think Everton might just back uh, might just edge it uh, in, in this one. But um, I suppose you're right. I mean, Stoke if they can get firing, if um, if their attacking players can really get going, then they could prove a threat to Everton and um, could could get something out of the game. Um, Crystal Palace against Bournemouth is the next game, and I think Benteke will be making his debut for Palace in this game. Bournemouth and Palace have both been pretty pretty underwhelming so far this season, so both sets of supporters would be hoping for the three points out of this one. Um, JD, which do you see either of them getting the three points in this one, or do you see it being a, a pretty dull oh, draw? Well, these are my two tips for, for the relegation spots. Um, so, yeah, who knows, really? With this one, where's it at? It's at it's Selhurst. at um at Palace, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'd probably just stick with the draw. I think Benteke, you know, depends how he suits. If he does suit Pardew's style, I don't personally believe that he will. Um, 
and people have the opinion, oh, you know, you've got Townsend whipping the, whipping the ball, and that's a load of bollocks. He does not cross <laughs> the ball. He shoots and shoots and shoots. He's had more shots on, than anyone in the league so far. But that's why um, they can't get rid of Zaha, I feel, so to go right. a little bit off. But yeah. because Benteke relies on service so much, and Townsend isn't going to provide a lot of that, no. well, I feel, either. So, And what's the other guy's name? Um, oh, Punchin. Like, he's not... Yeah. He's not going to provide enough service to to keep. He's them not up. a he's not a top quality. <laughs> no, like he's Play not him. going to keep them up. So yeah, I I don't don't have high hopes for for either team. And yeah, Bournemouth yeah have been pretty unflattering with my opinions of what they've done spending money on Ib and and Smith. Um, is it Smith? The yeah, Aussie Smith. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a side that overachieved and just survived to be spending that money, it's just still to me is crazy. Unless you know Jordan Ibe does prove to be what those Liverpool supporters thought he'd be a few years ago on the next Raheem Sterling. <laughs> um, yeah, who knows? I just don't get it to be honest with you. So yeah, probably a nil-all draw there. Uh, Tradespot, how do you see it? Um, both teams will not want to be three losses from three games by the end of this game. Um, I think Pearl Bournemouth are going to struggle quite a bit with the old second season syndrome. They played out of their skins last last season, but sort of as reality kicks in and uh, confidence starts to drop off and you, they just can't play to that the level that they played last season constantly. And with everybody else improving, and as JD alluded to, their, their, the signings that they did bring in, whether they'll be able to make an immediate impact, I, I really question that. In saying that, Palace have probably been equally as disappointing to start the season off. Um, I, I'll still back Palace in. I think Ben Teke will really improve the team as long as Pardew can build them around him and Ben Teke can get the service that he needs because he does rely quite heavily off the service. Um he doesn't create a lot of his own opportunities, I feel. So if they can get Benteki up and going, it won't be this game. He's not going to set the world alight and get one game, although watch him score a hat-trick or something. Yeah, <laughs> I've said that. <laughs> um, I, it's hard to go against Palace because I, I, poor old Bournemouth, I think are really going to struggle this season. and They've probably been the poorest side of the season so far. Got really good odds on them before the season started on, on relegation. So, um, yeah, I probably yeah. should have jumped on that because I, I have to agree with you guys. I think Palace will probably just edge this one. Both have been pretty disappointing, but um, Bournemouth just... I just There's no inspiration in those signings. I mean, I could be anything. None of them but, are top. But when, when you look it's at more like they're investing team, in the anyone, future with them. And yeah, is anyone screaming out to be yeah. a, a top half player? Selling rich, I, I can't think of one. I think selling Richie yeah. is the big one. You compare Bournemouth to Middlesbrough, two teams that are going to be fighting for relegation. Bournemouth, uh, Middlesbrough have gone and signed players like Valdez and uh, Negredo and a lot of older players who aren't going to really take this team to the next level and still be there in, two, in two or three years. But that's the thing. They help build that sturdy platform for them to then build off. I don't think that Bournemouth were at the level to be able to start bringing in some young new faces yeah. to build off of. They needed and experience you, proven you players. Just, it is, it you just is, compare their sorry. compare their young signings, like Victor Fisher, the guy from Ajax. I think he cost, what, six mil? Yeah. And then yeah. Bournemouth go and spend over double that on Jordan Ibe. Now, look, Fisher's had his own issues as well, but it's not like Ibe's been winning young player of the years every season here. I mean, it is the value of hindsight, though, because it's very easy for... If, if Burrow had gone out and signed Negretto and, and Valdez, granted they were basically free, so there's not a whole lot of downside there, but if they'd come in and absolutely flopped and stunk out the place, and I had come in and already had you know two or three goals to his name, we'd be sitting here saying, you know, congratulating Bournemouth for, for signing younger players who are hungry for a game in the Premier League and, but when's, and castigating Burrow when's for the last time players. When's the last time a, a lower team has signed has got survival off the back of a real young player? Yeah, like, no, that's a fair point. 
I, I guess I'm just you know, yeah. Yeah. But in so, talking of those young players, Jordan Ive has sort of been a a real vocal point of. Uh, sorry, he's meant to be a real vocal point just about their star player. Whereas you compare that to Fisher. He's just he a bit part, yeah. Yeah, he, he, Fisher's more just a squad player at the moment, whereas yeah. Jordan Ibe is almost the main yeah. man for Bournemouth. So the roles of the younger players is what is the significant yeah. difference, I feel, between the clubs. Yeah, well, yeah, so I think Palace will probably edge that one and um, and it'll be quite a concerning start for Bournemouth if they do, in fact, start the season with with those three losses. So um, hope for their sake that they can stay up, but... Um, since they're probably going to be competing with my side for one of those spots, I, I'm not too too fussed if they want to start the season with three losses, to be fair. Um, we've also got Leicester up against Swansea as one of the midnight games, and, and Leicester would be desperate for about for three points out of this one, I think, after um, only one point to show for their first two fixtures. Um, JD, do you see Leicester getting up in this one? It's at home for them. Oops, sorry, dropped out. <laughs> sorry, that's all right. Do you do you see Leicester getting up in this one at home? Yeah, I think they'll they'll get off to get their season rolling. Yeah, um, maybe the Champions League draw might generate a bit of excitement because they've been quite flat. Um, and yes, Swansea are, are one of those, like I was saying at the beginning, one of those sides in that Sunderland bottom eight nine sort of team range. So they really have to be winning this one. Um, Tradesburg. Um, yeah, Leicester will be more desperate than ever to, to get a victory. They don't want to start the season three games in and just only have one point to show for it, especially if they've gone to Hull and and playing Swansea. So they'll, they'll really, really be giving the absolute all to get the win, and I'd back them in. Unfortunately, I think Swansea will probably be in for, for a long season. Um I know the signing of Lorente will really help the squad because I think he's a good signing, but his finishing has never been his strong point. And um, Borja Baston is a new striker, but he'll probably take a little bit of time to settle in. And I, I, I question Swansea's ability to be able to finish and to win games. So I, I would expect Leicester to win this game without too many problems. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the game where Leicester really need to get going and score a couple of goals um, to really get their campaign off to a good start. So I, I can see them probably winning 2 or 3-0 in this one and really sort of try to put the foot, the foot to the throat, so to speak, against Swansea and, and get off to that good start because I think Swansea are definitely going to struggle a bit this season. Um, Southampton at home to Sunderland. Uh, Sunderland... By their own, by their manager's admission, are going to be in for a relegation fight, whereas Southampton would be hoping to to bounce back pretty quickly from that loss to United. Um, Southampton again looking pretty decent this season, and I think they've just had a bit accepted for uh, for um, an, another attacking player basically to come in to replace Mane in the side. Um, how, how do we see this one? Do we think Southampton will be too too strong, Tradespert? Um, yeah, realistically. They've got the, a much better squad on paper. Um, they seem to have settled down quite well in the season. I know, obviously, they lost to um, Manchester United last week, but that, that that's okay. Nobody expected them to go into that game and get in a win. And their first game of the season against Watford, 1-1 was probably... A, it was an all right result to start the season. You never know what a first game fixed. Oh, right, yeah. Um, Moisey will be desperate for a win, though, because as we've sort of been saying for the last four or five teams who have started off the season quite poorly, they'll be absolutely desperate for a win, but they've got quite a few problems at the back at the moment, Sunderland. Um, they've obviously just sold Kabul. Um, I'm not sure what the prognosis was on O'Shea's injury, but he went off the game injured. Um, and who knows what's going on with Lamine Kone. Um, Moise will probably be that desperate for a centre-back at the moment. He'll play him regardless of everything that's going on with him at the moment. Um, yeah, I'd back Southampton in with a better squad on paper and they've performed better this season. So it's hard to pick anything but Southampton winning. Uh, JD? Yeah, I agree. I think the messages coming out of Sunderland can't help their performance on the pitch. Manager saying it being a relegation... 
Kone with his mysterious back injury, <laughs> costing me fantasy points. Um, well, he wasn't even training with them at the end of last week. Like, he was banished from training. Moyes openly said yeah. that. And then they and went then, and sold Kabul. <laughs> yeah, but then a week later, Moyes says that he's not going anywhere. So, go figure. Yeah, yeah. So, who knows with them? Um, yeah, I think Southampton, 2 or 3-0. Yeah, I think I'm with you guys. I think Southampton will do it fairly comfortably against Sunderland in the end there. Um, we've also got Watford up against Arsenal, so it's a bumper midnight session um, this weekend with six games on at midnight. Um, Watford at home to Arsenal, and Arsenal have obviously had a pretty shaky start themselves. And as you say, Tracewell, it seems a whole bunch of sides have had um, pretty shaky starts to the season so far. Um Arsenal do have a few bids in for players that they might be accepted. I, I noticed trades, but that there was a rumor that that um, who was the striker that you guys all into was it Luke, Lucas Perez. Um, yeah, that apparently Arsenal were backing themselves in to buy him because of they they trusted Walsh's judgment on that one, uh, which I found a yeah. pretty odd rumor. I mean, I don't know if that's a true comment from them, but if it was true, you'd think, well, hang on, why not just go and get Walsh to scout for you rather than you know, <laughs> trusting his judgment from another club? Um, but, yeah, yeah, well, sorry, yeah. No, sorry, no, you, you, I was going to say, I was, because I, I actually read those comments, so I actually jumped onto an Arsenal forum and was reading it, and some of the Arsenal fans were actually saying that if Walsh thinks he's a good player, because Perez was actually linked to Leicester about right. six months ago, and then obviously, apparently, well, to quote uh, Phil McNulty from the BBC, we put in all the groundwork for the transfer, and then Arsenal sort of swooped us, and uh, they look set to get him. So from an Everton perspective, it, it feels really good that our scouts have got... Or Phil, Walsh has got that reputation that if he thinks he's good, then all of a sudden he must be amazing. But I think a really good acquisition for Arsenal, because it, do, it does look like it's set to be done. But is it an underwhelming signing for Arsenal fans? Maybe. <laughs> and how do you see mm-hmm. the result in this one? Um, I think Arsenal will finally get the ball turn and Mustafi and Perez both look set to get in. The fans have probably, hopefully, taken a little bit of edge and a little bit of sigh of relief that something's finally got in. Getting off Wangers back a little bit. They're the much they're they a better team on paper. They're due for a win, and they should get it. JD, how do you see it? Yeah, it's good to see Arsenal copying Spurs and stealing Merseyside <laughs> scouts. Uh, Liverpool <laughs> seem to think we steal all their their targets with Sigurdsson and Eriksson and Clint Dempsey. So yeah, it's not a bad policy. Um, yeah, this one's a danger game for Arsenal just because. If holding is is holding still going to be playing in centre back, be, yeah. that's a dangerous game for a, a young guy like that with Agallo and Dini. They're so physical and and so smart around goals. Um, you know, there's every chance that you know they can pop up with a couple of good chances and kind of manhandle him in, around the box. Um, so yeah, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a draw or even a Watford win. Um, but saying that, it'd be stupid not to to back Arsenal in this one. I think Arsenal have uh, have beaten Watford in all six of their previous meetings, or all four of their previous meetings in the Premier League. So, as you say, I mean, Arsenal should be getting up in this one, but they certainly look pretty exposed at the back. And and if Agallo or Dini can finally get going, because they've they've both had pretty slow starts to the season. Um, then it could spell trouble for Arsenal, but but yeah, I think you'd have to back Arsenal in this one. Um, the big game of the night, the late game of the night between the two undefeated clubs uh, so far, perfect records, two wins from two games. Arsenal up against, sorry, not Arsenal, Hull up against United <laughs> um, at the KCOM. Um, Mike Phelan against his old club, and it was funny, I actually was watching one of those uh, EPL shows on Monday night, and they had um, Paul Pogba footage from the last time he was at the club as he was running onto the pitch as a skinny little kid and uh, who was it but Mike Phelan kind of patting him on the back and giving him a bit of advice before he ran on so it's pretty funny when you when you consider the connections between the two clubs in that sense but um, I mean obviously I, I don't think you can look past a United win in this one but but how do you guys see the game in terms of um, a neutral spectacle I'll start with you Tradesburg. 
Well, Phila might even want to go out and show the United, oh, look at me, I'm about to get the manager gig at my own Premier League team. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, both teams have had two two very solid wins. Um, it's... <laughs> Two wins from two games, whereas Manchester United are obviously expected to be two wins from two games. Um, sorry, SMR, I, I just can't see the uh, streak continuing this game, and I I think United will just be too good. Uh, and JD, how do you see it? Yeah, look, I, I think United will win. It'll just be a case of how easy or how hard I'll make it for them. Um, and the longer that goes on, if it's nil all at 60, 70 minutes, you just never know. Um, but yeah, I'd say a one or two goal win for United. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can say the same sort of thing. I think the most likely scenario is a two or three nil win to United. But as you say, if we can keep it tight and keep it close for the first 60 or 70 minutes, as I think Phelan went out against Swansea with the aim to do, um, it then gives us a bit of impetus in the last 20 minutes or 30 minutes to really have a go at them and try and hit them. And if we can hit them on the counter, then then who knows if we can um, take advantage of Snodgrass's free kicks or if, if Hernandez can pop up and, and do something special, then you never know. But I, I, I think Ibra will have a bit of a day out against our makeshift defence in this one. Um, on the Sunday night, we have West Brom up against Middlesbrough. Um, not the most appealing of matches, I must say, but Middlesbrough have, have started the season pretty well. Um, do we see them as good value for a win away at the Hawthorns, uh, JD? Yeah, I think there's a, a pretty good chance. Um, West Brom tend to be you know, not too bad away from homes and struggle to to break downside, so it could be a bit of a, a cat and mouse, you know, who sits back the most. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, like guys like Negredo and and that could could pop up with a goal for, for Middlesbrough. But, yeah, I do think, though, that that's quite a strong defence that Pulis does have. Um, so it'll be real good to see, you know, how Negredo goes coping with that um, early on and just to see, you know, is he still up to, to it and will he be a 10, 15 goal striker for Middlesbrough? Might have a bit of a clearer picture after this week, but I'd probably be leaning towards a draw or a West Brom win, though. Tradesbert? Well, after seeing West Brom firsthand last week, I actually I actually think they're a real challenge for any team this season. We all know, we all know what we're going to get from West Ham under Tony Pulis, um, and it'll be really, really hard for Middlesbrough to be able to break them down. But at the same time, whether West Brom have the forward attacking qualities to be able to push forward and win the game is probably the big question. I think Berahino is obviously a real, really big threat and Rondon just bullies anybody that's in his way. Um, I think it'll be, it'll, it'll be in interesting game. I think it'll be a bit of a seesawing game. Both teams will have their opportunities to win. Um, I actually think this is probably one of the harder games to predict to predict a result for this week. I'm going to go to continue their form, which arguably may be an upset. I don't even know who's the bookies' favourites for this game. Probably a draw. Um, but yeah, no, I'll, I'll go for Middlesbrough to to maybe sneak in a 1-0 victory, but it's never easy to score at the Hawthorns. Yeah, I mean, I could probably see it being 1-0 or 2-1 to either side, to be honest. I mean, it's a pretty 50-50 sort of game, and, and Borough do have that form going for them, but West Brom as well haven't looked too bad. Um, you know, they went 1-0 up against Everton, and they beat Palace in the first week, so they've they've had a relatively good start to the season, so um, I wouldn't really be surprised with any result in that one. Um, the final game of the weekend, we've got City, Man City, that is, up against West Ham. And I think Mumba noted on the board that City's run last season um, was halted by West Ham getting um, getting the win against them. So they have uh, priors up against Man City. But at home for City, um, West Ham just been knocked out of Europe. 
Uh, it wouldn't, and, you know, p- injuries piling up for West Ham as well. Um, it would be pretty surprising if they can get the win in this one. Um, JD, do you give West Ham much chance in this, or do you think City will steamroll them? Um, just going off, you know, how they were last year, I'd give West Ham a chance, but they've been pretty ordinary. Um, not ordinary, but yeah, not up to it themselves, like a few teams to start the season. So it would be very unexpected to see them come up and, and get a win away. It's away, isn't it? It's at Man City. Yeah, so, it's at Man City. Yeah, I'd, I'd be expecting a, a two or three goal win for City. But just having seen how, how Billich has West Ham playing against those top teams, you know, with that form from last year, you can't say that it's, you know, not without a chance that they do get the, the three points there. And Tradspad, how do you see it? Uh, poor old West Ham have been absolutely depleted with injuries. They're rivaling your whole city SM. They are, they have not been able to cop much of a break this season. And to be fair, against Chelsea in the first week of the Premier League, I, I thought they were actually probably robbed. Robbed from a victory. Um, they really haven't got going on, on all cylinders yet. They... They bet Bournemouth last week, but that that was an expected result. They'll be absolutely devastated after getting knocked out of the Europa League before the season has even begun. But I can't see them troubling City too much, especially they, they, they do lack quite a bit going forward still. But um, with Zaza from Juve looking set to sign the club, that'll be... Very helpful for them, but obviously he's not going to be playing for them over the weekend. I would expect City to win this game, but probably a couple of goals. Yeah, I think I'm with you boys. I think Man City will do it pretty comfortably, and I think Aguero's just looking in some pretty red-hot form for them, so I think he'll continue to run riot against West Ham um, in in this game at home. Um, So I could probably see a 2 or or 3-0 win for City in that one. Um, but thank you for coming on, boys. Uh, we've got through all the games, so it should be a pretty exciting weekend of football ahead. So, um, yeah, thanks thanks for coming on, JD. Cheers, thanks for having us, SM. And thanks for coming on, Tradespert. You're welcome, matey. Thank you. No worries. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in. Um, hopefully your side gets the win this weekend. And until next week, we'll see you on the forums.